I want to kind of contextualize monetization for a second for most folks, because a lot of people think it's like, it's just the number, right? Like, oh, what's, should it be $100, $150, $102? Like, what should it be, right? In actuality, if you really think about your business, it doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit, a retail company, a SaaS company, it doesn't matter what you are. You've created some sort of value. And because we don't trade goats for wheat anymore, you're basically saying like, hey, this value is worth this much, right? And there's all these things that influence that value, who you sell to, what you sell, how you position it. Um, the actual price can, can you know, you know, affect that as well. And so I think that the big thing is when you start from that premise, you start to realize like, one, there's a lot of different things that go into your monetization, but two, What's up, everyone? I'm Chris Ronzio, founder and CEO of Trainual, and this is Process Makes Perfect. As always, we're talking with experts in process creation, automation, and delegation, basically the people that know how to make business easier. You just heard Patrick Campbell, and this episode is all about the process of pricing. Patrick's the founder and CEO of ProfitWell, the industry standard software for helping companies like Atlassian and Autodesk meet up and lift with their pricing and retention strategies. ProfitWell also provides a turnkey solution that powers the subscription financial metrics for over 14,000 subscription businesses like Trainual. It's free and it plugs right into your billing system. So check it out. Prior to ProfitWell, Patrick led strategic initiatives for Boston-based Gemvara, and he was an economist at Google and for the U.S. intelligence community. What I love about this episode is that whether you run a subscription business or any other kind of company, Patrick talks about how you should first price your services, how you should make sure not to leave money on the table, how you should think about upsells and maximizing the value of a customer over time, and just the metrics that you should be watching to understand your customers and make strategic decisions based on the data that your customers show you. So it's a great episode, and I know you'll love it. Can this business thrive without the owner? you got to start putting systems and processes in place. If you don't use the systems, the business will break. We're always looking to buy back our time. You cannot say something once and expect that it actually is received. This is the way we work. A big motivation in that for me is creating a job for myself that I really enjoy. This is how you discover your vision. And this is Process Makes Perfect. Hey everyone, welcome to Process Makes Perfect. I'm your host, Chris Ronzio, and as you heard in the intro today, we're talking with a friend of mine, Patrick Campbell. Patrick, you're, you've got to be one of the smartest people I know, so I'm so excited to have you on here. I don't know about that. You're setting the expectations really high. I just noticed you got the Boston Harbor behind you. I do. Are you trying to convince yourself you're you're in New England when you're in in Arizona, right? So so you know my brother lives in Boston. Yeah. After I grew up and uh, I was the best man at his wedding, and he gave me this to take a little piece of Boston back here to Arizona. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. cool. Well, today we're going to talk a lot about pricing. So this will be the process of pricing what you do at your company. And I want people to get a little background on you because in the SaaS world, I feel like everyone knows who you are. But if you don't have a subscription product, this guy is like a hidden gem uh, around <laughs> the world and everybody needs to follow what you're doing. So why don't you just give us some background? I know you started off as like a secret agent in the government or something like that. <laughs> so, so why don't you start? Right there. 
<laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, yeah, sort sort of. So yeah, I started I started my career. I worked in U.S. intelligence um, in D.C. Um, it's it's actually where I got the best training I've ever gotten. So if you want to go deep on that as much as I can, that'd be cool. Um, and then um, I worked at Google after that. Um, and basically, I, I was an entry level Intel analyst at in, at the NSA, and then I was a like a sales sales ops guy at Google. And basically, both places I was taking data. You know, my background's at econometrics and math and basically taking a bunch of data, applying models to it and trying to find some sort of outcome. So at NSA, um, using data to find bad guys and gals at Google, using data to find more money. Um, and interestingly enough, using the same models for both, um, which is really interesting. Um, and then about eight years ago, I started a company called ProfitWell. And, and as was kind of alluded to, we're in the business of helping subscription companies with revenue automation. So we have a free subscription product um, that you plug into your, your billing system and you get access to all of your MRR, your churn, all the data you need. Um, and right now it's used by about 20% of the entire market, which is cool. Um, and the way we make money is we use that data to then build products to help reduce your cancellations and help optimize your pricing and things like that. And so we're, we're in the business of taking data and then solving problems that are better solved by data versus like you as a human, um, if that makes sense. And yeah, it's been, it's been a fun ride so far and it's been, been quite the journey. So quick plug for ProfitWell, if anybody out there is processing revenue through a regular credit card kind of processing system, hook your business up to ProfitWell because this thing is like the dashboard of my dreams that I've always wanted. You know, I would be in conferences or read books and everybody says you've got to have KPIs and dashboards and they've got to be visible so you can run your business on them. And for years, I struggled to like connect Google Sheets to these weird tools. And until I found your software, I've never had that kind of dashboard. So thank you for that. Uh, if yeah, people sure. don't don't have a subscription business, do you have any recommendations for them? Like what, what, what else could yeah. they do? Um, well, it just depends on the type of business, right? There's a couple of like businesses that are popping up that are, um, uh, the name I'm blanking. There's a couple of them that are built for e-commerce companies specifically. Um, and then there's, um, I, I think that the, the biggest thing is just start, start small. I think that if, if you're not used to data, um, and, and data is only as useful as, as you use it, right? We were just talking about before this, you know, how you're like, oh, we're seeing adjustments in this or that, or these other things. And, and that's because you're actually using the data and you're making adjustments based on the data. It's a lot of folks who just get enamored with graphs. Um, and it's like the graphs aren't there for the sake of being graphs. They're there to like help you. Right. So just start yeah. small, even if it's in a spreadsheet. And what ends up happening is, you know, you'll start small and then you'll ask more questions. You need more data. And then eventually you'll, you know, seek out the right type of tool, whether it's a generic BI tool or something specific like ProfitWell um, and so on and so forth. So I'm curious for you, how long have you had the business? You said eight years. Yeah. So we originally were called price intelligently because the only product we had was this pricing product. Um, and then we evolved into having multiple products specifically for subscription businesses. So we changed the name, um, never change your name. It's the worst thing you can do. Um, probably not the worst, but it was definitely really annoying. Um, cause there's some folks who have context of our entire life cycle. So the story is a little bit different to them. Whereas some folks, they just learned about us through ProfitWell. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, oh, like, you know, this is the story we're trying to tell now. So it's been, it's been a fun learning experience the past 18 months when we kind of officially changed our name. So you had a bunch of different products and has, has your business model changed over the years? Because I think there's probably lessons in that on how people adapt and offer more services or fewer services. How did, how did you approach it? 
Yeah. So we found out really early on, and I think this is really good advice for any business um, it, it, with ever, any problem big, like the, the question that you just asked, or even small, it's like breaking it down to, to almost the sum of its parts. And for us, like we broke down like our constraints. And one of our big constraints is the number of logos in our space, subscriptions, um, it's, it's not very high, right? So we have, um, you know, actually, I wonder if you know, I, I think if you've seen a talk where I asked this, so don't cheat, um, or tell me if you can cheat, but, uh, how many subscription companies do you think are in the world right now? All I feel subscriptions, like I'd be media, I, SaaS, all that kind of stuff. I think I'd be cheating, but can I guess? Yeah, go for it. I would, I would say 50,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's somewhere between probably 100 and 150,000 total. Okay. Um, but the, the thing is, most people think millions. Oh, there's millions of subscription companies. And it's like, no, that's e-commerce. E-commerce is millions of potential customers. Yeah, yeah. So so we're in a low logo TAM, but the revenue on those subscription companies is like exponential. And yeah. so we changed our business model of knowing, you know, we need high LTV, lifetime value. And so how do you get high lifetime value? You can sell multiple products. Um, in addition to that, you you get to a world of pay for performance, um, which allows you to kind of you know push things push things forward. So yeah, it's changed a bit. Um, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to like double down on a couple of our products right now, get them to a really good place before we like expand even further. Okay, so I want to spend time talking about how you use the data to influence your decisions, but it was too good to pass by. You said at the beginning that you had the best training of your life as the uh, a US, U.S. intelligence training. So can you touch on it briefly? Like, what was that experience like? Yeah, I think that large organizations and the government is like one of the largest organizations. I think that they realize like how important training is. So we get we we as like entrepreneurs and as like business builders, like we're we're about seventy people. Um, you know, so just to give you some context, but even before this, and then I've been involved in larger organizations. Obviously, like we get into this mindset of like, oh no, no, don't worry, like they'll just learn it on the job. They'll just learn it by sitting next to the other person or whatever. But I think what ends up happening is like we don't realize like how much time that wastes and how much like misalignment happens because of that. And so uh, what I really appreciated about having, you know, the intelligence community as one of my first jobs was they have a really clear training program. They're like, here are the milestones, here's what you got to do. And I think that for most businesses, it's probably overkill. You should have something in between these two pieces. But what I just really appreciated is they focused on not only like a rigorous program, but also it was very much focused on like how to think, not yeah. like do th not do this, do that. It was more like, hey, this is our philosophy on this. This is how you should think about these types of problems and right. then let you go off and do things. And there are of course things of like, especially around the legal stuff, as you can imagine, where it's like, you're not allowed to do this. You can't do this. This is illegal, these types of things. But yeah. most of it was very like teaching you how to think, which I think is the best type of training. Um, you know, even if it's an expense policy, like, Hey, like this is how we think about our expenses here. Here are yeah. some like specific rules, but like everything else is, you know, use your best judgment because you hire smart people. You want to enable them. You don't want to constrict them. Yeah. It's like a filter for decision-making, not all the answers. I remember going through a, I, I went to a Ted event, like, eight years ago or something, right? Probably right around when you started uh, ProfitWell. And I remember sitting in the audience and they said that we're moving away from a time of needing to know the answers and into a time of needing to know how to find the answers. And it's like, you can Google anything and that's where the future is headed. So as long as you're resourceful and you've got the skills and the intelligence to do that, you can find answers. So I thought that was really cool. Um, all right. Well, thank, thanks for sharing that. So let's let's get into pricing. Whether whether people that are listening have a subscription 
subscription business, a services business, an e-commerce business, they sell products, whatever it is. Um, pricing is one of the most pivotal things, uh, big, biggest decisions in business. Like this can make or break your business of whether you can sustain yourself. So when someone's just starting, how do they set a price? Do they ask yeah. customers? Do they copy their competitors? How do you start? Yeah, it's a great, a great question. I think I'm going to take a, a, a quick step back because I think that um, I, I want to kind of contextualize monetization for a second for most folks because a lot of people think it's like, it's just the number, right? Like, oh, what's, should it be $100, $150, $102? Like, what should it be, right? In actuality, if you really think about your business, it doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit, a retail company, a SaaS company, it doesn't matter what you are. You've created some sort of value. And because we don't trade goats for wheat anymore, you're basically saying like, hey, this value is worth this much, right? And there's all these things that influence that value, who you sell to, what you sell, how you position it. Um, the actual price can, can you know, you know, affect that as well. And so I think that the big thing is when you start from that premise, you start to realize like, one, there's a lot of different things that go into your monetization, but two, like, what is the best way to get the price? Well, it's to go to the people you think you're supposed to sell to and ask them in the right way. And the right way is, you know, important, like where their willingness to pay is. And I think that's a really big thing because everyone wants this like secret roundabout way to like divide this number by that number and figure out their price point. When it's as simple as going to your customers and, and asking them questions like, well, you know, here's the product, like, you know, tell me about it, right? And not leading the witness and having them like talk about their needs and their wants and then saying like, okay, so you, you're familiar with the product. You know, at what point is it way too expensive that you would never consider purchasing it? And they'll fumble around, they'll give you an answer. And then, well, at what point is it, you know, a great deal that you'll just like buy it today, right? And then if you do that across like even 20 people, you start to get a feel for, well, am I a $10 product? Am I a $100 product? Am I a $1,000 product? And then if you, you know, get into doing like a bigger survey of more and more data and you follow some statistical best practices and this type of stuff, you can get more precision in that number, but it's not rocket science. And I think that the thing to think about is your costs and your competitors don't matter because your costs, like your customer doesn't care about your costs. They care about their costs, right? And your competitors, you're assuming that they've done their homework when I guarantee you they haven't done their homework. Um, and you're also assuming that you're selling the exact same product to the exact same type of customer, which in some cases is true, like very, very competitive markets. But oftentimes we overestimate how competitive the markets are, are actually. And so what we recommend doing is, you know, do this research and then use competitive data as well as cost data as, you know, almost like secondary data as well. But that's kind of the the, the shortest rambling answer to your question there, basically. <laughs> okay. So you ask your customers, you try not to lead them. Do you, do you feel like customers that want to buy or in that position would be biased? Like, do they try to give you cheap feedback so that you'll set a cheap price? Yeah. So I think that, um, What's really interesting is that this is this is the power of like sample size, right? So this is why, so there's two things. One, this is why you ask ranged questions. And if we were doing a true like pricing survey, we'd ask a couple of extra questions as well to get like some, what's called an elasticity curve, which we can go deeper on if you want. But basically it's a measure of, if I change my price, like how many sales am I gonna lose or gain? And so this this is the power of, of, of you know, the sample as well, because the ranged questions protect you a bit because we're not trying to figure out like a really, really specific answer with only asking 20 people. We're just trying to get the general range, right? Um, but then the other thing you should be doing is you should be talking to 
to your current customers. You should be talking to prospects and then talking to people who like are your target customer, but they've never heard of you. Um, I think that's my, my favorite thing to do because when you start to look at that data, Really what should happen is, is those people who have never heard of you should be willing to pay the least. And then all of a sudden your current customers should be willing to pay the most. Oftentimes it's reverse because you've anchored your current customers to a price that you've never checked or studied. And so it's too low because most of us were, you know, we're scared that no one will buy things. So we price our products too low typically. And so when you do that research, you'll, you'll first not want to trust it because you're like, well, they're only paying a hundred dollars. How can we raise our price to 500? Right. And so like, well, you're probably not going to raise your price to 500 right away on those folks, but really you've been underpriced for them for too, too long. Yeah. So, so when you set a price and you've got something you're, you're ready to offer, you without a doubt will get people that are, whether they're commenting on ads or giving you feedback over the phone, there'll be people that think it's too expensive. So do you waver from a price? Do you discount and, and just get more customers to have a bigger sample size? Or do you start to offer multiple products? Like at what point should someone, um, you know, resist versus accommodate? Yeah, so that's a that's a deep question. I think that so are you asking more around like hey, should we worry about defending our price or not or is it more like yeah, I guess that's kind of what you're asking, right? I guess so. Yeah, like do you do you discount from your price? And if you do that yeah. enough, do people start to, you know, it's like if I go to buy a car, I know I'm not going to pay the MSRP on the, the window price, because yeah. no one pays that, you know? So, is it crazy? Do you do you have to reset that expectation? It, it depends on your market, right? I'm, I'm a big fan of if you've done your homework, you should defend your price, right? Um, and yes, discounts are a part of life. Like you might have to give like a five, 10% discount or something like that. Like, I think those are okay because, you know, if your salesperson has defended the wall, if you will, and this is the thing that's going to get them over the edge, like, great. But I would discount things like, um, you know, the, the onboarding fee, I would give a promotion, meaning like, Hey, we'll give you priority support for free. So I can't, I can't discount the price, but I can give you this promotion. I would try all of those things before actually discounting the price. Because the thing is, is that in most industries, people, again, they know things cost money. Um, and, and we are like, oh, we're scared to talk about it. We're scared to like defend it because it's like, oh, we don't want to talk about money. But the actuality is, is like, if, if they value the product um, and you've put them through a trial, which is something, or you give them a 60 day out or all these things that, that hedge the bet of, of their decision making, it allows you to kind of like defend that price. Now, the downside is if you discount too heavily, we found this pretty, pretty steadily is that if you discount beyond, um, you know, right around 30%, so 30% or more discounts, you start to run into a position where they're really only buying because of the discount. And that means that your customer isn't really ready. Like satisfaction is going to be low. Um, you know, if you're a subscription company, there's going to be churn. Um, there's just going to be a whole host of things where these customers just aren't really ready for prime time. Um, and we see that a lot now couple of caveats, retail products, um, it's, a, it's a bit of a different game. Um, retail and e-commerce, um, you know, you, you are eroding your brand when you discount, but sometimes like that's the only thing that gets people over the line. And so I would just really think about from a framework perspective, are we a discounting brand? Are we a luxury brand or a premium brand? Um, if you're a luxury premium brand, you, the discounts should be few and far between, you know, Herman Miller, they only discount twice a year. They do two sales a year, right? I think like Tiffany's and things like that, that's what they do as well. Um, but if you're a discount brand, then like go nuts, right? And, and I think that you should still defend the value props, but um, yeah, keep things going. I love how many levers you can pull with pricing. You know, there's, like you mentioned, there's the add-ons, there's the free services, there's promotions, there's site coupons, there's extended 
pay periods. You know, there's like so many things you can tweak. So there's really a lot of, a lot of room to get creative. Um, you talked about price elasticity, willingness to pay. I think a question on a lot of people's minds is how do I, maximize how do i not leave money on the table so how, how do you offer something or, or price your services in a way that you're capturing as much value as you can yeah i think it's um one of the biggest mindsets to get into is there's no perfect price right so it's like even even if your price is at five hundred dollars there's going to be people who only want to pay 490 there's going to be people who are going to want to pay 525 like it's, it's one of those things where like you're going to be missing you're going to be overpriced for some you're going to be underpriced for others but the secret is offering options and this is why we we like to say price on a value metric which is you know it could be this could be for e-commerce but it also is mainly for like subscription companies where you price based on like the usage or the value they're getting of some sort because then it's kind of like well you know, I don't have to buy the 60 eggs, right? I can buy the 12 eggs or the six pack or the 18 pack, right? That's That goes into your packaging. Um, and I don't have to like overpay um, for, for too much, right? And so I think that's a really, really big thing. But in addition to that, um, also realize it's a multi-move game, right? That person comes in, they buy like the low priced um, utility product from you. Um, all of a sudden it's like, well, here's this other luxury, like nice to have product that we also have. They trust your brand now. So theoretically they can purchase more. Um, and in the world of subscriptions, it's you know add-ons and things like that. And so I think those are the two things to really think about. Um, too many times we think, oh, they purchased, that's it. Well, if you have a you know one-time purchase type company, you got to have repeat purchases or you're going to die. Like it's just not going to work out. And if you're a subscription business, if your average revenue per user isn't going up, um, you're not taking advantage of that relationship that you have in, in a good way, right? Um, you know, people get value. It's okay to like ask for more money in exchange for that value. You just have to do it in the right way. I don't know if this is a trend anymore, but I remember seeing like Panera, the sandwich shop had a store where you could just walk in and name your own price. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like you could pay whatever you wanted. It was like an experiment or a PR thing. But I've seen software products do that too, like pay what you can or, you know, donate, buy us a coffee. Do you see that working anymore or or is that kind of another experiment? Yeah, it, it's, it's an experiment in most places, but it's typically very focused on um, community type products. So those Panera stores, those were their like donation type ones. There was one in Boston actually for a long time. Oh, wow. um, they ended the experiment not because it wasn't working, but because of some other issues. I, I, I can't remember what exactly happened, but um, yeah, you could walk in and you theoretically, they had suggested prices, but um, basically they'd get you whatever. And I think that like, it was all self-serve on like the credit card machine and everything as well. So you didn't even have to like interact with someone. And it, and it was mainly because you wanted, um, you know, if, if someone was down on their luck or, you know, homeless or something and they needed food, like it was a place that they could go. And then if you were, you know, able to pay regular prices or more, you could do it. Um, in software, we've seen this with like very like um, association or industry like type products, like very like open source adjacent, I guess is, is the best way to put it. Yeah. It's probably not the best way to put it. That's so jargony, but like very <laughs> like, you know, products that are basically like, oh, we're part of the like privacy alliance and we're a privacy tracking product, you know, pay what you want, right? I think that typically those really only work um, when you offer some options, right? Mm -hmm. So what Panera learned is, it was failing until they were like, here's the suggested total, pay yeah. what you want based on that information. So you'll see this with a lot of um, nonprofits and like um, associations where like, they'll be like, hey, donate either a one time and here's some suggestions, 100, 200 dollars, 
or subscription, $10 a month, $20 a month, et cetera. Um, if you just give someone like a blank, it's the same thing if I was just like, hey, how much is this worth? It's a terrible question to answer. The human brain, it's really hard for us to contextualize that question because we think about value in a spectrum. We know that this, you know, cup of coffee is worth less than this computer because I've had, you know, I've purchased coffee before, I've purchased a computer before, but I can also like do a, a val relative like value analysis quickly in my head to realize that. Now, if I don't sleep for four days, maybe that coffee increases in its value, right? Um, you know, it's one of those things that like I rethink it based on my circumstance. And so that's why yeah. you got to give people a little bit of an anchor um, yeah. or a little bit of a context so that they can, you know, provide, you know, or, or think about the value in the way that they need to so so then if a if the blank is the worst thing you can do and maybe the other end of the spectrum is like a million different products a la carte too many choices what's what's your recommendation in between like do you have packages or only so many choices because then you're getting people like i remember when when i was starting out someone told me you know have like the three choices and the middle one's the one you want people to uh, pick like like is there the right number of packages or choices yeah, good, better, best is not bad advice. It's just like incomplete advice. Because here's the thing, you want you want to align enough packages or options to the personas that you have, right? So if you're a retail e-commerce product and you're basically selling, um, you know, you're selling, um, uh, you know, to um, all kinds of buyers, like the hardcore, like let's say you're a music shop and you're selling to beginners and then hardcore enthusiasts all the way to professionals, right? the offerings that you'll have as well as the price points are going to vary a lot, right? And you just have to be good at targeting those folks. So you're going to ask me when I sign up for my first product, Hey, how do I, you know, how do, would you characterize you? And then you're going to have separate newsletters to go to those people, right? In the world of subscriptions, right? Like, yeah, maybe my pricing page is only going to have three or four options on it because it's just going to get too confusing to try to show them 18 options, but I should have 18 options on the back end because I'll learn about you. And then I'm just going to offer you up plan 17. You're not going to know there's 18 plans, you're just going to see plan 17, right? And this is yeah. for like mobile products. I always recommend, listen, yeah, you're going to have one price up front, one or two prices up front, just because the mobile screen is not big enough. But once you learn about that user, you should have all kinds of different upgrade paths. And this is why it's important to like understand your user, because again, not everyone's going to want to pay that one amount. You're going to yeah. be underpriced on some and overpriced on others. So you want multiple products. Um, and this is why like, you know, good, better, best, it's good advice. It's just really it should be good, better, best plus 17, right? Or however, yeah. you know, wide your customer base is. That's such good advice. I've never heard that before, but it's, it's like the iceberg and the top of the water is like your marketing site yeah. with a couple choices and then it opens up. Great advice. Okay, we're at the top of our time here. So let me end by just asking you a couple rapid fire questions. Whatever the first thing comes to mind is, go for it. All Let's right. Let's go. Uh, what's a brand you think has perfected its process? Ooh, perfect. Dude, you can't use perfect. Perfect is so hard. Uh, Someone you admire. <laughs> um, I've been really into, uh, this is, it's, it's probably not a good answer, but, um, uh, this guy named Scott Galloway, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's no. like, a he does this podcast with Kara Swisher, which is this big tech blogger. He is, he's a New York, uh, NYU. He's been on a bunch of boards. He sold a bunch of companies like he, but he's an NYU marketing professor and his brand is so good. He's like the, you know, the prediction in tech guy, like, mm. and he's so good. And he's kind of like crafted that and he's got a really good following. Uh, Matt Levine from Bloomberg. I guess I'm thinking of like, you know, content creator 
leaders right now. Uh, both their brands are really, really good because they're really consistent and they kind of lean, they, they don't get out of their lane. They don't go comment on things that they know nothing about. They only comment on the things that they're good at. So yeah, I don't know if that's the best answer, but that's what popped oh, to mind at good. first. So focused and consistent. All right. What's, who's someone yeah. that's, uh, that's coached or mentored you? Oh, I'm trying to think of someone you, everyone will know. Um, I think my, like my, my biggest mentor, I, uh, uh, I didn't have like, you know, I I'm cautious on getting too deep here. Not because I'm not, I don't want to, but because we're at the end of this, but like, um, didn't have a great childhood, um, you know, abused kid, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, and so I, uh, um, my teachers really became my mentors and I had a coach, mm-hmm. um, a debate coach, um, in, in forensics or speech, depending on the high school you went to. Um, and that was one of those people who like kind of showed me that the world is larger. Um, this guy named Bill Hagen, um, showed me the world is larger than it actually is. Um, from a uh, business perspective, um, I've learned a ton just from like at this peer group of um, the Wistia founders, the Help Scout founders, the Litmus founders who have just like taught me so much just by us getting together and all having giant therapy sessions and just learning from one another. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully there are some answers. Yeah. No, that's great. De- debate coach makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> Your <Yeah>. favorite <laughs> book or Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Favorite book or podcast? Um, I read high output management by Andy Grove, like probably two to three times a year. Um, I shouldn't read it multiple times. It's not like I don't understand. It just like recenters me on, on like, um, process actually a lot about process and a lot about frameworks. So that's a good one for, for your audience. That is a great one. Most entertaining person you follow online. (sighs) Nathan Latka. I think Nathan is, I, I know Nathan really well and I'm, I've crowned myself the biggest Nathan defender. For those of you who don't know, he's, he's kind of this like trollish guy, but he's not I, a troll. I love him too. He's awesome. Yeah. Like, he's just, that- but he knows, <laughs> yeah, he's unapologetically like, um, like aggressive online sometimes. And that's where like people think he's like a blowhard, but he's actually a really nice guy and he's like a very smart and I just like him as a human. And you probably like him because I know I spent like five hours in profit well before I went on his show because I knew he was going to grill me on everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's good. And last question. What's one app you can't live without? Say that one more time. One app I one can't app live without? One app you can't live without. Yeah. Oh, let me look at my phone here. I mean, everyone's going to go like, oh, my calendar, uh, <laughs> which is kind of true. Um... I was going to say my Delta app because I was flying so much. This is the longest I've been without like flying in the past five years. It's kind of insane. Um, I'm going to go with, I've been rocking Audible for a good like six months. Um, I wasn't a big like audiobook guy. And then now I'm just like constant. So when I walk the dog, when I'm out, um, Jenny gets annoyed by it because I'll just be having my headphones on in the house and she wants to talk to me and I just go, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm listening. But yeah, Audible, <laughs> go with Audible. Awesome. Good one. Okay. So just as we wrap it up, if people want to connect with you, you guys put out such amazing reports and resources. Where can they go to learn more? Yeah. If you have any questions on on like anything related to pricing monetization, doesn't matter if you're a subscription business or not, um, profitable.com slash blog. We have so much content. We've published so many studies. Um, in addition to that, um, uh, I'm just Patrick at profitable.com. Happy to chat. Um, sometimes it takes me a while to get back to you, but I eventually do. Um, and then I'm just Patrick Campbell on LinkedIn. Amazing. Patrick, thank you so much. This was super valuable for everyone listening. So go check out ProfitWell. Thanks again for being here. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Process Makes Perfect. If you're listening on your earbuds, on a run, in the car, we also have a version on YouTube. So if you wanna see this in color video with me interviewing all these great guests, check it out on YouTube. Just search Chris Ronzio and you'll find my channel on there. If you found this helpful, we'd love for you to leave a review or rate the podcast. If you found the information valuable, please share it with a friend, a family member, or anyone else you think could benefit from the information. Remember to connect with me at Chris Ronzio on all social media platforms or the company at Trainual. That's train, U-A-L, like a training manual, everywhere that you want to follow us. Thanks again for watching or listening, and we hope to see you next time.